I need to start by telling you about a guy named Larry Gartrell. Most of you don't know him, but Larry Gartrell was my 12th grade economics teacher. And uh, he's probably the only person I know that's, be- that's actually banned from Disney World. Uh, it's true. Uh, he got high with a few students on grad night. And he fell asleep on the, in the grass in the front of the haunted mansion. And uh, apparently Disney frowns on that. So anyway, they asked him not, not to come back. But anyway, uh, during our semester of economics, uh, Mr. Gartrell told us that he wanted us to learn about the stock market. And so he thought the best way for us to learn about the stock market was for us to invest. So he gave everybody 200 imaginary dollars to spend. And the idea was this. This was the catch. You've got 200 bucks to spend over the course of a month. For every dollar you earn above the original 200, I will add a point to your, to your final score. Every test had a, a level of points. And so that'll add to your final score. Every, every dollar that you lose will take away from points towards your final grade uh, in class. And so now this was huge for me. It was a great opportunity because I was failing his class like many classes in high school. And so I really needed to discover like the next Microsoft or Google so that um, I could pass his class and not end up uh, taking it in summer school. So we got paired up. I got paired up with a friend of mine named Rob and uh, we started investing. And, And the weird part is something happened to us. In fact, something happened to my entire class that I never even understood until after I became a Christian. But I I watched this thing happen uh, to every single one of us in class. And that is, uh, we started reading the newspaper every day. In fact, not just reading the newspaper, I would wake up, I had a TV in in my bedroom um, at times, which I don't recommend that for kids. But anyway, I had a TV in my bedroom. um, And I remember in the morning, I would turn it on to find out how the stock market was doing. And so I would, I would read, read the, I would watch the kind of the ticker um, of the stock market in the morning. I would get to class, which was my, it was my last class of the day. And there were newspapers everywhere of everybody reading about how their stock was doing. And we became obsessed with where it was all going. And, and here's the thing. I didn't realize how, what exactly was happening. But until later, after I became a Christian, that what was happening was a biblical principle was being set in motion. This principle that Jesus taught, in fact, it's the first verse in your outline where Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the reason that I was looking at where the stock market was going, the reason every single one of my classmates, without being told, we were all looking is because this is a universal principle. This principle that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, is a principle that applies to everyone. It it applies to those who are young or old. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. In fact, it doesn't even matter if you're a Christian or not. This principle is universal. That where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That there is a connection between our money and our heart. That we have to understand if we want to live a life that's blessed. That's the reason why there's over 2,000 verses in the Bible that deal with money. In fact, there are more verses that deal with money than there are verses that talk about heaven. There are more verses that deal with money than talk about this in the Bible than talk about the subject of hell. There are more verses on money than talk about the subject of marriage. In fact, there are more verses that talk about money in the Bible than talk about heaven, hell, and marriage combined. 
You see, and that's why what I want to do in the time that we have together as we've been working our way verse by verse through the book of Malachi for the last several weeks, I want to take you to a passage that maybe you've read before, maybe not. A passage that maybe you've heard quoted before, but what we're going to do today is really drill down on it, go beneath the surface, and see what God is talking about. Because listen, when God talks about money, he's, ta- he's way more interested in other things than, than, than money. Because, but he knows that there's a connection. He knows that actually if we, get, if we drill down beneath the surface, what we're going to find is not, that it's not just about finances, it's about what we worship. He knows this fact. That what we do with our money is the best indicator of what we value, of what's most important to us, and what or who we ultimately trust. That money is simply a treasure map for where our heart is. Now, some of you are here for the first time. Some of you invited friends to come uh, to Calvary for the first time. And here's what you're thinking. This is what, when I started talking about this, this was your first inclination. Oh, no brought my friend on the week he's going to talk about money. I picked the wrong Sunday. God help me. Rapture now. Like right now. I need it to happen right now. You know, and uh, let let me tell you, you're thinking of that. And this is the moment where, you know, if if you're here and you're a guest, you start having all those flashbacks of maybe you've turned on Christian television, which by the way, we don't recommend that at all because we find that it's neither Christian nor television. Um, But uh, you have this kind of flashback of, you know, maybe you've turned it on and you see some guy and he's crying and begging for money. And then there's this lady next to him uh, who's got purple hair. And it's not like cool punk rock purple hair. It's the other kind of purple hair. And uh, now, and, and they're trying to like, they're begging and take, trying to take advantage of people. Now, let me put you at ease. All right. Um, we're going to talk about finances today, but we're going to talk. And, and, and if you, but if you're our guest, here's, here's the cool thing. Uh, if you're our guest, this is a message for everybody who calls Calvary home. So you can sit back and relax and watch everybody else squirm around you. Okay? So that's fun. I promise. Um, Now, here's the other thing. And this is the other reason I'm really glad that you're here. Is that you've probably never heard a message on money that's biblical and balanced. You see, what you've probably seen is lots of things taken out of context. Lots of things that that are overblown and overdone. But that's why, listen... I think this is a great Sunday for you to be here because we're going to talk about why, as Christians, giving is so important and why you're going to hear from God's heart about generosity and why generosity is so important in the life of a believer. And you're going to to hear the heart of Christians, uh, for Christians, uh, about doing God's will and reaching people, that this is kind of the mission of what we do. And us giving is what begin, what funds that mission of God to reach people and disciple people. And if nothing else, if we get to the end and you say, hey, I don't disagree, I don't agree with that, or I'm not going to do it, that's okay, and we can get there when we get there. But here's the cool thing. If nothing else, this is going to be a very educational time uh, as we delve into this topic. So I'm going to invite you to open with me to the book of Malachi, chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, if you'd open there. If you have uh, your iPhone or iPad, you can open uh, there. If you have one of those lesser devices, you can use one of those too. Uh, we don't judge here. Um, we just accept you as you are. And um, so anyway, <clears throat> but what we're going to find is that Jesus gave that statement in the New Testament. We're going to see the principle in the Old Testament as well, that where, that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's the very thing that God is saying. So if you look at verse 8 of chapter 3 of Malachi, here's where we begin. 
He says, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse. For you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, I want to tell you three things about God's guide to the blessed life. And the first is this. If you want to live the blessed life, here's number one. That the blessed life puts God first. There's a lot of words that God could use to talk about tithing and people not giving. But there's this word that he uses. He uses it three times. Four times. Three times in verse 8. And he uses it in verse 9. He uses this word rob or robbed. You've robbed me. Now, let me tell you what that does not mean. When he says robbed, you know how um, you tell your kids, hey, can I have a cookie? And then you say, well, you can have one after dinner. And then you find one of your, their, your kids like in their room, like, you know, scarfing down a cookie. Like, oh, I, did, I thought you meant dinner last night. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not talking about like you swiped a cookie or, or something like that. That's not what he's talking about. That might be robbing or stealing or whatever. But when he uses the word robbed, it's actually only used here in one other place in the Bible. This term robbed, here's what it means. It means to pillage to plunder or to defraud someone. I mean, this is a violent word that speaks of the oppression of another person. But what makes it so strange is that God uses this term saying that people are doing this to him. And how are they doing it? Listen, by not tithing. They were stealing what was God's, that first 10%, and they were consuming it themselves. And then he says, not only have you robbed me, but then God says, but here's the thing that you have to understand if you're going to rob me and not give that first portion, the tithe, back to me, then you're cursed with a curse. And because these people weren't giving, they were experiencing the curse of not giving. Now, what does that look like? And I have a verse in your Bible, from the, the, in, in your outline, from the book of... Ma, uh, uh, my, uh, let's try that again. Uh, from the book of Haggai. I had way too much coffee this morning, so I apologize. Um, so... What does he say in the book of Haggai? Look at what he says. He says, is it right for you to be living in fancy houses while the temple is still in ruins? And then he says, and this is what the Lord All-Powerful says. Think about what you've done. You've planted much, but you harvest little. You eat, but you do not become full. You drink, but you are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but you are not warm enough. You earn money, but then you lose it all as though you had put it into a, a purse full of holes. You see, this is what happens when you don't tithe, when you don't give God that first portion. God makes life hard. Now, please understand, I don't want you to think that, oh, when I don't tithe, here's what God does. He's being spiteful and he's trying to get back at me and it's like, hey, you're not going to tithe alone and really stick it to you. No, that's not it. Life becomes hard. It's just like one of your kids. When your kids disobey and then they get punished or however you discipline or they get put in timeout or they get toys taken away from them. That's one of the things at our house. Um, if you disobey, toys get put in the toy jail. Oh, those kids will do anything because they, they're like, listen, can we just can, can we can we get our stuff out on bail? I mean, you know, they don't want stuff. They don't want toys in the toy jail. But so um, so they listen. But God's not doing that to get us back. Listen, he loves us. Right. As parents. Things get hard when a child is misbehaving. Why? Not because you're trying to get them back, but because you're trying to bring them back to, to, to do what's right. That's what God is seeking to do. When we decide we're not going to give, here's what he says. Things are going to get hard until we decide to do the right thing. Because he knows, God knows that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. And if you've been around for a while, you've heard me say this, that listen, tithing is not God's way of raising cash. 
It's God's way of raising his kids. I put this in your outline in Deuteronomy chapter 14, that the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your life. Because where we put our resources is the best indicator of where our heart is. Now, one of the things that I want to do this morning is teach you a biblical principle. It's what's called the principle of first. The principle of first. This, what I mean by this is, is that when you decide that you're going to, uh, that you say, hey, I want God to bless this area of my life. Here, so how do, what, do I, what do I do? Here's what you do. You put God first. Well, I want God to bless my marriage. Great. Then put God first in your marriage. I want God to bless my relationship with my kids. Great. Put God first. I want God to bless my career. Then put God first. I want God to bless my finances. Great. Then put God first. Now, I want to read you this story from 1 Kings. I, I put it in your notes because um, I want you to see it with me. Look at what it says. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, that would be Elijah, saying, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. And see, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and he came to the gate of the city. And indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called her and said, Please please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And so she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread. Only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, let me give you a little bit of backstory if I can on this. Um, in Israel right now, there's an economic recession. Now, I know this is hard for us to imagine, okay? But I want you to just imagine what it would be like to live in the midst of an economic recession, okay? So just, you know, we're doing make-believe now. Uh, but, and so Elijah comes to town. He comes to town and he meets this woman at the gate of the city. She's gathering sticks. She has nothing. This woman is completely down on her luck. And because she's alone, not only has her husband died, but there's no one that can help her or take her in. So she has no family. The only person she has in this world is her young son. And because she has nothing, she has only, according to the story, she has only a handful of flour and a little bit of oil, and she's gathering sticks so she can make a fire so that she can uh, uh, cook one last meal for her and her son, and that's it. And they're going to starve to death. I mean, this is all there is. So this is, this is the final meal. Now, Elijah hears that. They're going to die because there's no food. And Elijah hears her and says, okay, but can you make me a cake? It's like, hold on, dude. Did you just not hear what she just said? You're, this is all she's got? And you're asking her to make you a cake? Now, there's one first thing you need to know is that men of God love cake. Did you notice that? That's one thing that you can take to the bank. Men of God love cake. Ladies, if you're single and you're, you know, thinking about marrying a guy and you say, oh, but I don't run it really into cake. We're done. All right? Men of God love cake. In fact, I would like to say, I don't think it's a stretch to say men of God really love cake. 
Um, anyway, I'll tell you what kind of cake later. But um, uh, <laughs> now, but here's the thing: is that but there's something else happening here. Now you would say, well, is, he, is Elijah hurting for food too? No, he's not hurting for food. In fact, one of the things that you'll notice is that if you read the, the verses before this, uh, later on, if you read the verses before in 1 Kings 17, God is providing food for Elijah every day in just amazing ways. So that's not it either. So why is he asking this poor woman to feed him? And in fact, why did God say, when you get to town, I want you to go talk to her specifically and tell her to give you something to eat? It's because God is using Elijah to challenge her to put God first, even when it doesn't make sense. My friends, tithing is all about putting God first. Because one of the things that we can do is that we can talk about putting God first. And we can tell people about putting God first. We can do little Facebook posts about putting God first. And those little e-cards that everybody loves posting, which are the things that make me want to get off Facebook, um, about putting God first. And, and, and then we can, but listen, we can talk about putting God first, but it's when we actually take out the checkbook and put God first financially that it shows that we're really serious about putting God first. This issue of tithing is the reason why people don't experience the blessed life. Sometimes what we'll do is we'll ask God to bless our financial world. And God is saying, listen, I'm sorry, but I can't bless your financial world. Well, why is that? Because you're not doing the principle of first, of putting me first. According to these verses, you're cursed with the curse because you've robbed me in this issue of tithes and offerings. So when we keep the, the, the tithe and we don't give it to God, he says, I'm sorry, but the money's cursed. That's why tithers have this testimony. And I've just talked to, you know, people who tithe that over and over again over the years. Here's, here's the, the general testimony that I hear is, I'm blessed. Here's what I hear from non-tithers all the time. No matter how much they have, it's not enough. And that's why, I, and this is the thing that people, and good intentioned people, they'll say, Pastor Bob, I would love to tithe. I just can't afford to tithe. And my response over the years has always been the same. I would say, yeah, I hear what you're saying. I just can't afford not to. Because I need God to bless the 90% because he says he'll make it last even longer than the 100% that's cursed will go. You know, and I've learned this over the years so many times. Um, one of the times that I just saw God do over and above, I mean, like, just God blow, blow us away. When we were first married, um, I was finishing college. I was in my last semester of college. I just had a couple of classes left. And I owed $2,000 in my tuition. Uh, from the last couple of semesters. I had been kind of paying as I go and because I didn't want to take out loans and all that. So I was paying as I go. And then uh, someone was going to help me out, but it didn't work out. And so I was kind of stuck with the bill. And um, so I talked to the administration. I said, listen, I can probably do like 50, 75 bucks a month, you know, to pay off what I owe. And they said, that's fine. You know, they, they were gracious with me. They said, but you can't graduate until you actually pay it off. And so I kind of figured out that, okay, so it's going to be like, 50 years before I actually pay this whole thing off at this rate. Um, and so then a couple months later, I'm still in my last semester, but it was probably about five or six weeks later that I, ha I got a phone call from the dean of the school and he asked me to come down to his office. And he said, hey, I just want to show you this. And he gives me a piece of paper and it's my transcripts, but it's also my history of what I've paid for all my classes and all that. And then I get to the bottom and it shows that somebody's paid the whole thing and my balance is zero. And um, now, yeah, that's, that's really kind of a weak clap, you know. You know, so, all right, that's good. 
That's better. Um, that's a God paid for my education clap. Okay. Um, listen, somebody decided that they were going to, they were going to pay off my debt. Um, and God put it in their heart to do it. Uh, and, and did this for me. I'm still to this day. I'm not positive as to who did it. Uh, cause nobody's ever owned up to it. Um, but here's what I do know. I do know that Carrie and I were tithers before we were married. We got married and Carrie and I continued to tithe. And that God has over and over and over proven to us that we can trust him if we put him first. Hey, so what happens in the story with the woman and the cake and all that? Let me read you the last couple of verses in your outline. And here's what, here's what it says. It says, so she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and her and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which was spoken by Elijah. This woman has this little bit, and God is challenging her, saying, will you trust me? She decides to put God first, and she had more food than she knew what to do with. The oil and the flour never ran dry. And my friends, this is the work that God wants to do, not just in her, but in all of his kids. But it starts with putting him first. And that was the thing that the people in Malachi's day were missing. And that's sometimes what many of us are missing. On the fact that God wants to do more than we could possibly imagine. And that's what we're going to see next. Look at what he says in verse 10. He says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that you will not have room enough to receive it. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the second thing I want to tell you about the blessed life. And that is number two. One is the blessed life puts God first. The second is that the blessed life believes God's promise. Believes God's promise. Uh, A few years ago, I was teaching on tithing. And after the service, a guy came up to me and was a bit um, upset, I think is a good term to use. And... um, He says to me in kind of an aggressive tone, you know, why does God want 10%? And I said, "Um, what? Yeah, I mean, why does God, why do I have to give 10% to be blessed? I mean, what if I only give 5%? And I said, do you want a coupon? Is that what this is? You want like a 50% off tithing coupon? I said, I don't make those. Um, And and, and I said, listen, um, God says 10%. This might sound simple, but God says 10% because he's God and you're not. And when you're God, you get to, that's one of the benefits is you get to make the rules. So I would encourage you, if you don't like that, create your own universe and you can make the tithe, whatever you want, make it 5%, but then it's not a tithe, then it's a five. And I don't know if that's a real word, but we'll just, if it's your own universe, you can make that word up. And uh, anyway, he didn't, did not like that answer. Um, but, but we talked for a little while and, and, and we got, he's a good guy and we got down to the kind of the heart of it. And I, and I said to him, I said, listen, you know what I think your decision to tithe or not really comes down to your decision to trust God. Because if you're saying, well, I can trust God for 5%, but I can't trust him for 10%. What it really shows is that you're, you're not talking about trust. Um, you're, you're, you're talking about risk management essentially. And when, what God is talking about is trusting him wholeheartedly that God actually wants to do something amazing in your life. Now, let me tell you something. I I do believe that there's reasons as to why God picks 10%. You know why God picks 10% first? Is because it's the same for everyone. 
It doesn't matter if you make a lot, you make kind of a medium amount, or you make a little. Um, it's 10%. So if you make, you know, 5000 50000 or $500,000, it's 10%. It's all the same. But I believe the other reason is, and that for those people that like, maybe if you want to um, drill down a little deeper into this, I believe if you read throughout the Bible, the number 10 is always a number of testing. That over and over again, the number 10 shows up, and it's always in reference to God testing someone or testing a group of people. So I want to show you this. Just You don't have to take my word for it. I'm going to give you some questions and just show you how the number 10 just keeps coming up over and over again. I was telling my daughter about this, and she said, you should do it like a game show. And uh, I'm not going to do it like a game show, but I am going to ask some questions. And then um, I ask the question, you respond with what you think the answer was. So here's the first one. How many plagues were there in Egypt? Ten. Ten. The answer is ten. And then, uh, come on down. Uh, that, that's, that, if you answer the phone, that's a new car right there. Um, so, this is a great opportunity for everyone to silence their phones. No judgment from coming from here at all. I don't judge. But I do think it's a good idea or I'll throw something. Anyway, uh, so how many plagues are there in Egypt? Ten. How many commandments are there? Ten. All right, about 60% of you got that. So, but you'll get it uh, towards the end. Next one. How many times did God test Israel in the wilderness? If you notice, there's a pattern. Okay? So, like, hey, I see something. Maybe like after lunch, you'd be like, you know, I saw... Anyway. Um, All right, here's the next one. How many virgins in Jesus' parable were tested in Matthew 25? Wow, that was like less convincing than the first time. I, you know, all right. Um, Next one. How many days was Daniel the prophet tested in Babylon? Somebody was excited over there, but it's good. It's preempting. All right. Now, next one. Uh, how many days of testing are mentioned to the church at Smyrna in the book of Revelation? A little better. Um, now, next one. Uh, how many disciples were there? No, 12. Come on, guys. You got to keep up. This is what happens when you don't drink coffee at the cafe before you get here. You start, you start thinking crazy. All right. So there was 12. I was just testing you there. Um, So God uses this number of 10, right, to just to to test us. And it's exactly, notice what he says in regard to tithing. Just test me. Try me now in this. Throughout the Bible, God says, do, don't, you know, the Bible says, don't tempt or test the Lord your God. Except right here, he says, I want you to test me. Because listen, God cannot bless you until you start bringing the tithe to the storehouse, the church. And when you do, he opens up the windows of heaven and blesses. It's just what he, it's just what he does. And that's why in, um, in, in 2 Corinthians 9, I, I shared this verse a couple weeks ago, that whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I've taught this before, and I believe that it's worth repeating, that you don't just reap what you sow. Instead, you always reap more than you sow. That's why the Bible says, you sow to the wind, you don't reap the wind. You sow to the wind, you reap the whirlwind. You sow into the kingdom of God and honor God with your finances, and guess what happens? God will honor you. And God will bless you far beyond what you can do, yourself can do in your own power. Now, let me say this, and I think this is an important thing to note, because sometimes a message like this can be misconstrued. And you're like, oh, this is like a get-rich-quick, 
you know, do I have to sign up for multi-level marketing at the, at the end? And the answer is no. This is not a get-rich-quick thing. What I'm not saying is you give God a 1000 he'll give you a 100000 That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is this, is that if you will honor God and give cheerfully, why? Because he saved you. Why? Because he changed your life. Why? Because we owe him everything anyway. And we do it willingly and cheerfully, then God will bless you beyond your imagination. And listen, the reality is this, is that if we haven't experienced God pouring out the blessings in your life, listen, you're missing it. One of the things that's so amazing to me about walking with God and trusting him is that God just does stuff that you're like, God, how did you pull this off? I mean, how did you make all of these things kind of work out? And then at the end, it's like the biggest blessing that you could possibly imagine. Now, let me just tell you what God is doing in in my life and my family um, recently. This week, my wife and I are, uh, we're buying a new house. Uh, We're, we're, thank you. We're excited about that. But listen, don't clap yet. Don't clap yet. Don't go there because it gets better. It gets better. I promise. Um, But, but it's not just because people can buy a house and you're like, yeah, you're buying a house. That's cool. But listen, we're buying our dream house. All right. We're buying our, we are so excited because we're buying, uh, this is the kind of the house that we've, but see, there's a lot of dream houses out there, but they cost like millions of dollars and whatever. And, uh, you know, and there's like, you walk in and there's like a statue of a unicorn or something. It's not, it's not like weird like that. It's just like a regular house, but it's just amazing. Now you ever do this? And, and I know you guys do this because you're loving husbands. Um, but you know, you ever, um, talk to your wife and you talk about like, you know, someday we're going to buy a house that has, you know, and you, kind of over the years you have this conversation and, and then because you're a loving husband, you kind of like just put those things in the, in the back of your mind and you say, you know, I'm going to remember that because I, I, I want to do this for my wife. I want to do this for my family someday. And over the years, my wife has just said, you know, I'd like to have a house that has this, you know, like I'd like to have a house that has a pool. I'm like, oh, that's not like a huge request, but houses have pools. And I'd like to have a house that has, um, you know, like a, a master bedroom, but also like a sitting room on the side, you know, that you can kind of hang out. And, yeah, that's, the houses have that. You know, I'd, I'd like to have a house that has not just a living room, but also has a family room. That was, you know, that makes sense. And then Carrie one time said, she said this a few times, but she's like, you know, I, I'd like to have a house, especially because my, my wife cooks a lot. You, you could probably look at me and say, hey, you, your wife looks like she cooks a lot. Um, and so um, now here's, here's what happens is that um, she says, you know how sometimes, and those of you ladies that cook, um, you know this, that sometimes if counters are low, you got to kind of bend a little bit to chop stuff. And then you're, you're done cooking. You're like, oh man, my back is killing me. But she, Carrie said, you know, I, I, I would love to have a house that the countertops are actually raised a little bit. Um, and I know it's kind of like a rare thing, but the countertops are raised a little bit so that you can actually cut and you're not like just totally bending over and then your back hurts. And um, the, the house that we're buying um, actually has all of those things, okay? But hold on, don't clap yet. You can't clap yet because it gets better. It gets better, okay? You can't clap yet. Um, because here's the thing. The, the people that are selling us the house uh, who I've met are just, seems just like really, really nice people. Um, they thought they were going to be in this house for like 20 years. And so they invested about $200,000 in upgrades in the house. Brand new kitchen, pool, all this amazing stuff that they put into the house that now they're leaving. And then they keep saying like, and I'm like, man, that's so cool. Oh yeah, we're going to leave that for you. And oh, this is great. Oh, we're going to leave that for you. And um, even I, they have like these little bar stools on the island in the kitchen. I'm like, hey, where'd you get those bar stools? And they're like, yeah, don't worry about it. We're going to leave them. 
like, really? Okay, cool. Um, and, 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 but here's the thing. We even love the colors that they picked. Because you know how somebody can, you, you ever been to a house and people like invested and upgraded the house, but it's not your style? Like, hey, I love the $200,000 you invested in Wicker. You know what I mean? And it's like, okay, you know, um, if I was a scarecrow, I'd love this house. Um, and so, but, but it's, not, it's not like your style. These people have the exact style that if we like had all the money in the world, that's what we exactly would have done with the house. Uh, they did for us. We even like the colors. I told Kara, like, don't touch anything. Just move in. All this place needs is our stuff and we're good. Like we don't have to do anything. But here it's, t- but it gets better. The reason it gets better is because we're actually paying less for the house than we have in the house we have, than we paid for the house we have now. And here's the thing, and it's actually double the, the space. And the, the cool thing is this, is that when, my, when we had my daughter Olivia, my, when my wife got pregnant with Olivia, we said, you know, because we live in a, a three-bedroom house, not huge, but it, it, was, it was fine for us. We moved in, we didn't have kids. And we thought, you know, we can, we can have a baby, and I still have an office, and we have a bedroom, we're good. And then we had, we had Mia, and then we had Olivia, and I lost my office. And then I'm writing books on my dining room table, which sounds way less glamorous than it is. Um, like, I had to write, my publisher called me and said, hey, we need, like, a little intro to the book. And you write a little intro. That's fine. I'm sitting at the dining room table writing, and, my, and two, my, uh, my two older kids are literally chasing each other around the dining room table while I'm typing. And it's like, yeah, this isn't working. Um, and so I'm like, you know, I need a little space for myself. And then we have three kids and we want them to have, um, their own bedroom and, and listen, and you know, we just watched God do something and say, God is opening up the windows of heaven and pouring out a blessing that we couldn't contain it. And here's the thing. It's like, we could have walked in and been like, Hey, the upgrades are upgrades, but they aren't anything like what we like. But then we look at it and we say, you know what? This isn't just God blessing us. This is God conspiring to do us good. Like over the years that God has just said, you know what? I'm going to do something for them. And this is just going to blow them away. It's not just going to be the house that they wanted set up exactly the way that they would want it. I'm even going to have the people paint the colors that they like. Um, because they're, go- they're just going to walk into something that is totally, completely blessed. And the only way they're going to be able to, d- to explain it is to say he did it. Because we couldn't have done it. We couldn't have figured it out. Carrie and I are college educated and we wouldn't have been able to figure this out even though we went to public school. But I mean, we couldn't have, you know, I mean, even still, we wouldn't have been able to figure all of this out because we just looked on and we said, listen, this is God conspiring to do us good. And my friends, can I tell you this? Life is hard when you try to do it by yourself. It's so much easier when your heavenly father is leading, directing, and providing for you because God wants to do that. But listen, we block it when we don't trust him. We block it when we don't obey him and, and, and give the tithe. And that's why God says, listen, how about you just test me and see if this is the play. See if, 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 you can, if you can trust me on this one and see what I won't do. Listen, um, we have this thing. My kids, their favorite day of the week is Sunday because they love coming to church. Their second favorite day of the week is Friday. Because in our house, if the kids get up for school on time, and they get dressed and they do well in school and there's no like complaining or, you know, uh, grumbling or back talking or anything like that. If they're, if they're good, then they can go to Target and get a toy. So when it's Friday, um, like Xander, he doesn't really understand. He's three. He doesn't really understand the days of the week yet. So he's like, is today Friday? I'm like, dude, Friday was yesterday. You know, it's like, it can't be Friday every day. So, but anyway, so some days he'll say, Papi, what's today? Today is Friday. 
yes, 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 yes. You know, I was so excited. Why? Because, you know, he says, okay, today's Friday. Have I been a good boy? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. You know, he's so excited. He says, okay, hold on. It's Friday. I've been a good boy. Does that mean we can go to Target? Yes, yes, yes. You know, it's, it's, it's like, a, you know, he's freaking out because, and here's the thing. And so, um, because when they do it, they get to go to Target and pick out a toy. And it's not like the most expensive thing in the world, but you know, something that's a few bucks. They get to pick it up, but they get so excited. And can I tell you something? That it is my joy to bless them. And, and, and here's the thing that's funny. Like a couple weeks ago, um, Xander had a couple of days that he didn't really do. It was just very unlike him, but he had a couple of days where he didn't really do so well in school and he wasn't really listening. And so because of that, no toy on Friday. And man, he was bummed out. But I'll tell you what, um, I was more bummed out than him. And Carrie's like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, yeah, you know, this is no target, no toy. It's, it's just, she's like, you know, you don't get the toy. You know, the kids are the ones, ah, I know, but listen, why? Because it is my joy to bless them. You know, we set a limit as to how much they can spend. I ignore the limit all the time. Why? Because I want to teach them something about God, that God wants to bless them um, even beyond what they think God wants to do in their lives. That they can always believe for more and, and that God wants to do them good. That God wants to conspire to bless them in ways that they never even dreamed. And listen, and so just buying them that, listen, it brings me immense joy. Can I tell you something? That that is the heart of your heavenly father. That your heavenly father loves you so much and delights in you. And his greatest desire is to be able to bless you abundantly. To just fling open the windows of heaven and just pour out such a blessing on you that you won't even be able to contain it. That's what he wants to do in you to bless you further than you could even, more than you could even imagine. Listen, but you got to trust him. And when we don't trust him, it's not, it's like, oh, man, I, I, I want to conspire to do them good. I want to just blow them away with how much I want to bless them. And, and it's like we frustrate that. Why? Because God knows something that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. And he knows that if we will take the first part and give it to God, that our heart will be there. Because that's what God's more interested in than anything is in our heart. And if we will actually give, then our heart, our treasure will, our heart will follow where our treasure is. He'll say, okay, now, now, now you watch and see what only I can do as I conspire to do you good. To do these things that you never even dreamed were possible. Look at what happens in verse 11, because there's something else God wants to do. Look at what he says. He says, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Now, if you pause there, listen, here's the third thing the blessed life does. It watches God work. It watches God work. That's why he says, listen, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. What does that mean? It means that God will do for you what you could never do for yourself. And he illustrates that uh, at the end of verse 11, where he says, the vine will never fail to bear fruit. Uh, and, and no, he's gonna, he won't destroy the fruit from the ground. In this culture, here's what you would do. You would scatter seed. You would work the ground. You would create the best possible conditions for your crops to grow in this agrarian culture. But if there was no rain, you were done. 
If there was a drought, there's nothing you can do. And so he says, but when a, when a person obeys God in the area of tithing, listen, God has the ability to make things happen and make things last like we couldn't imagine. Um, in the book of Deuteronomy 29, here's what it says. I love this verse. He says, during the 40 years that I led you through the wilderness, your clothes did not wear out, nor did the sandals on your feet. You ate no bread and drank no wine or other fermented drink. I did this that you might know that I am the Lord. Forty years, the children of Israel were in the desert and their shoes didn't wear out. Could you imagine having a pair of shoes that don't wear out? Clothes that just don't get holes? That God fed them every, every day supernaturally with manna? And the point is this, is that God has the ability to make cars last longer. To make purchases cost cheaper, to make homes sell quicker, to make jobs pay more. But that begins with putting God first, giving that first 10% that belongs to him. Listen, I make no promises to the person who doesn't tithe and doesn't honor God with their finances. You can read the Bible all day long, sit through every service that we have. But if you don't take the step and trust God, then you'll never experience the blessed life. I want you to, let me share it this way, because I think sometimes we don't realize how personal this is with God. I want you to imagine um, that I I go on a trip and I want to provide for my wife. And so I call three of my friends and I say, hey, here's what I'm going to do. I'm actually going to, I'm going to send you three people. I'm going to send you each $10,000 a month. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Uh, I'm going to ask you, you can take 9,000 and do whatever you want with it. But I want you to take 10% of it, 1,000. I want you to send it to my wife every month. And after a few months, I call my wife, see how she's doing. And, and she says, um, you know, hey, how's this going? Is everything all right? Well, how, how's person number one doing? Well, they, they send the, the $1,000 a month on the first of the month, like clockwork. How about person number two? Person number two, they actually send 2,000 a month. I, I, I know you only asked for, for 10, but they're, they're sending even more. And they do it consistently. How about person number three? Well, we need to talk about person number three. The first month, they sent 700. The second month, they sent 200. And the third month, they haven't sent anything. As a husband, what do you think I'm going to do? I'm going to take the 10,000 I gave to person number three, and I'm going to give it to the other guys that they might then pass that to my wife. And you think, oh, well, God would never do that. Uh, If you don't think God would ever do that, you've never read the Bible. Because that's exactly what God does in Matthew 25 in the parable of the talents. One guy doesn't do anything with it, and then he takes that and he gives it to the other two guys. And listen, I would be passionate about this because this is my wife we're talking about. You see, the Bible talks about the church as the bride of Christ. The issue with tithing is we we sometimes don't see how personal it is with God. It's how... Jesus provides for his bride, the church, and how he teaches his kids to trust him. This is where, my friends, I think the rubber meets the road. Um, If you take out your connection card that you got earlier, um, and your connection card on the back, because I'm going to challenge you um, for the next 90 days to take a challenge where, where God says, test me in this, try me in this, in this area of tithing. If you look down on your next step, it's about the fifth one down. It says, take the 90-day tithe challenge. Now, let me talk to you about how important this is and what God has done in the lives of people. It's where you commit. And you say, you know what? For the next 90 days, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to test God and see what he does. 
and that you say, God, I'm going to trust you to bless the 90% and do more with the 90% than I could ever have done with 100% that's cursed. And my friends, I can tell you with confidence that people who have taken this challenge have followed through and have never regretted it. It's not like people start tithing and they're like, man, I started tithing. What a horrible decision that was. Instead, they start tithing. You know what people say? I wish I had done it sooner. Because they experience God's blessing in their life like never before. People send me stories all the time of what God is doing in their life, especially in this area of tithing. And I have a folder in my office where whenever somebody emails me, I just print it out and I put it in the folder. And I I mean, it's like I have story after story after story. Let me read you a couple stories. Pastor Bob, I have to tell you, uh, I grew up in a parochial school that uh, never emphasized the importance of, of tithing. I always gave a dollar because that's what my parents told me to do when we went to weekly services, but I never understood why. I started the tithe challenge uh, back in September. That was last year. Um, and s- uh, since then, my income has increased. I no longer have to worry about a check not going through. For some reason, my money seems to last longer. I, and also, I feel so much at ease knowing that the Lord has a grip on my financial situation. Um, here, here's another one. Pastor Bob, uh, after hearing about the 90-day tithe challenge for the third time, I decided to take it. I thought it interesting that God says to test him. And I have to tell you, it's been amazing ever since I decided to be obedient in the area of my finances. I've been tithing now for the past five years, and I remember when I was only going to do it for 90 days. Something happened to me when I chose to trust him. And he has not only provided in the area of finances, but in every aspect of my life. It took me three times to take this challenge, but I'm glad I did. When my wife and I got married, the first thing we told each other was, no matter what, we can't stop tithing. We made our budget, and technically we were in the red after everything was paid. So according to the numbers, we'd only be able to survive for about five months. It's been two years, and God has provided every dollar, and God has provided every need. Because I started trusting him in the area of my finances, I figured, what about my health? Could God do the same thing? I had struggled with a stomach ailment my entire life. I was on medication, trying to get off, and it never worked. But I remember praying, God, I've seen you provide. I believe and trust that you can heal me. I believe I'm uh, going to stop taking these pills and the pain will go away. It's been three years since I've prayed that prayer, and I've never felt better. Another one, Pastor Bob. I've been attending Calvary faithfully for the last four months and got involved in the most recent tithe challenge. In times of economic despair and countless people losing their job, my company decided to reward those who worked hard in the second half of the year by awarding us bonuses. This has never been part of our company's history. And also, the bonus wasn't just an average check, those who qualified for it got $5,000. This is a benefit I know that came from faithful tithing, and I look forward to tithing $500 for my bonus this upcoming Sunday. Thank you for your efforts and your leadership. My friends, I could spend another hour telling, reading you stories of people who have started trusting God with their finances and have experienced the blessed life. But see, like anything else, you have to decide to trust God. You have to decide to test God in this area. That's why on the back of your connection card, it says, uh, take the 90-day tithe challenge. And here's, here's um, what we're doing if you decide to take that challenge. 
If you want to take the challenge, the 90-day tithe challenge, here's what we're doing. The deal we're making, you commit that you're going to tithe for the next 90 days. And then that's between you and God. Okay? You say, I'm going to bring it to the the storehouse. If this is your home, Calvary is, then you bring it here. And that's between you and God. But you and I are going to make a deal. And that is that you're going to email me the stories of what God does in your life when he begins to open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you can't even receive, contain it. But we want to partner with you. And here's what we want to do. If you decide to take the tithe challenge, I want to give you a book that I read several years ago that's just blessed my life. And I've actually read it several times. It's called The The Treasure Principle. And it simply is a book that talks about the uh, joy that comes from, from giving faithfully. But I want to challenge you one step further. If you look at the giving envelope that we gave you, if you open it up, you can actually sign up and make it automatic. So that here's the cool thing. You can go out of town. You can go on vacation. And sometimes it can happen with anybody. Oh, man, I I was going to give, but I forgot. You know what the cool thing is with making it automatic? Is that you can forget that you gave without forgetting to give. That you can forget that you were obedient without forgetting to be obedient. And see, here's the bottom line. God is your loving heavenly father who wants to bless you. He wants nothing more than to open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. That he is conspiring to do you good. He's conspiring to bless your life. But we have to take the step and decide to trust him. To put him first. Because where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your love, for your faithfulness. Thank you that you are conspiring to do us good if we will put you first. So God, let so many of us take this step today and see you work in our lives like we could never dream because that's the kind of work that you want to do in us. That's the kind of work you want to do through us because God, you're a God who says that if we will do our part, then you will do your part. That you're a loving father who wants to do us good. In Jesus' name. Amen.